Welcome back, podcast fans, to another episode of First Online with Friends, There's No Place Like Art. As many of you who know me, I am a theater arts education practitioner, advocate, and I firmly believe in the transformative power of the arts for people of all ages, but particularly for our youth. My guest today, Aman Ayun, is the co-founder and artistic director of the Ashtar Theater in Palestine since 1991, and I am so honored to have her as my guest today. Welcome, Iman. Thank you, thank you, Francis. I'm I'm really glad. I'm looking forward to uh, all the uh, audience who will be hearing us. So to meet them uh, sonorically. <laughs> thank you for having me. You know, we both share the um, mission of validating the voices of young people, particularly through your theater. I know about it. Would you talk a little bit about the theater, why you founded it, and how it has impacted your community? Mm, yes, yes, of course. Well, you know, I come from Palestine and occupied territory. I grew up in the old city of Jerusalem and I had the privilege to study in private schools in Palestine where I had the, the chance to do a little bit of, uh, of drama and theater when I was young. And, and so it really stirred my passion towards that art. And all I wanted to do when I, when I was growing up is to be an actress. But of course, living in, in a place like this, I had very tiny chances to practice my hobbies or to do my dream. And by chance, I met a theater company at that time in early 80s. It was called Al Hakawati Theater Company. Al Hakawati means the storyteller. So I don't know who found who at that time. It was 84 and I was still at university, but uh, it seemed like we both found each other. And because I had this passion, I had the, the luck to study theater with and through this particular company. And I became a professional actress with the company. So I continued my studies in, in uh, university in social studies and psychology and while working still with the Hakawati company. But then I really wanted to further my studies in theater in Palestine, but there were none. I wanted to go abroad to study in the Arab world, but I could not because I come from Jerusalem. And at that time, Palestine was cut out from its natural surrounding, the Arab world, because of occupation. So I went and studied psychodrama because I had psychology as a background. Then I thought that, hmm, really mastering the two forms, let's say, the social, psychological aspect and being in, in the theater world, I always wanted to really combine these two aspects together. And I wanted to take this form and present it to our youth because we were going from the 80s into the 90s. The end of the 80s, it was the first intifada, intifada meaning the uprising. It was in 87 when the Palestinian people revolted against the occupation for massively for the first time. And it was the young people who were upfront, who were really the freedom fighters using stones and, and their naked bodies 
to uh, defend the land. So at that time, what happened is that many of the young people had lost their education, proper education, but also many of them had lost not only the education, but the hope, because many lost dear ones, brothers, many were detained. So there had to be a way to give these young people a chance to really regain their, their childhood, a chance to open up new horizons, to think beyond the... At that time, there were no walls, but there were psychological walls imposed by the occupation. So what I wanted, together with my partner, Edward Ma'allem, my husband, we wanted really to give these young people a voice, a, a platform, just to express themselves, to be able to get out of this deadlock of either fighting and losing uh, or losing the hope. There, there's always a losing aspect uh, there. It's like a vicious cycle. Yes. And so art, as we know it, it is a way to really give a different dimension to the thoughts, to the, to the way the people w might face their problems, to really think outside of, uh, of the box and, and to be become sometimes wiser, wittier. <laughs> Absolutely. That was one of the things the last time we talked when you were in New York was you talked about how you use your work to break down walls, you know, both physical and psychological. And through your Gaza monologues, you know, you were able to tap into that voice of young people. How did that Gaza monologue, what was the arc of that process? I mean, when I speak about art, it's always intertwined with politics. Just because I come from a place that the, the breath that we read is politics. And yeah, well, tell me about it. We're in the United States. We're going yes. through exactly the same and we're, thing. Exactly. Yeah. And we're breathless since 75 years now. That's the problem, is that every time there is something new that our young people are facing and our community in general, our population are facing. So uh, it's either a war on Gaza or the Intifada, first Intifada, second Intifada, the building of, of the wall. So there is always massive general actions. Okay. <laughs> Because in theater, there is a conflict. It's, it's such a positive thing in the creative world. But these are more atrocities. These are oppression. This is dehumanizing our being as people. And it's continuous. So the Gaza monologue started after uh, the 22 continuous attack on Gaza in 2008-2009, December and January, on the civilians, actually. Our students in Gaza, because when we started back in 91, we started in Jerusalem, Gaza, Ramallah, the West Bank in general. So we always had our students in Gaza. So our students had been terrified. They lost parents, they lost houses, they lost dear ones. When they went back, they were in a state of shock. They were post-traumatic. Every single person was post-traumatic. So. What we wanted to do really with them is to give them a chance to speak up. The world was watching the news. I mean, Gaza was, was in the face of, of the world. But then the world was, was either the world is mute and dumb and 
do not speak, or we all live in a state of numbness. And so I was going crazy. I was away. I mean, I live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is away from Gaza only 15 kilometers, which is maybe nine uh, miles away. It's very close. The whole country is so tiny, but this space is, is so small. So I was sitting at home, following the news, unable to do anything for my people there. And I was in direct contact with my uh, students and my colleagues who trained there. And the idea was aroused from wanting to shout out and to be heard beyond community, beyond the country, to be heard on, on a global level. I mean, if, when you look at it, all the politicians of nowadays were young people at some point. So what kind of life they have experienced? Did they learn when they were young some drama? Did they learn about the suffering of others? What it means to be in solidarity with others, in the shoes of others? I mean, all these questions are legitimate questions that were really like uh, racing in my mind. And, and I, I thought that young people of the same age around the world need to learn when they are still young, because if we wait, it will only perpetuate. Yes. Talk a little bit about the Gaza monologues in terms of, could you give me an example of what are some of the things that the, the youngsters voiced? Of course, I mean, the youngsters wrote about what they have lived through during these uh, 22 days. Gaza is a plane carrying the people and going towards the unknown. A young boy called Tamer said, Gaza is a matchbox and we are all the matches inside it. It's like we're, we're ready to, to ignite at any minute. So it's a matchbox because it's so tiny and everybody is, is really like inside this, it's overdense, overpopulated. Now, these young people had written their stories, what they lived. And it came out from many trainings over six months of daily training. Theater of the Oppressed, creative writing, drama techniques, etc. And they started to write different, different stories, different monologues, different moments. And then I took all, all of that and I edited into one monologue Per, per person that became a cohesive story of each of them. And then they took these monologues and put them on stage in Gaza, these young people. But when we got their monologues, we translated them into English and French and disseminated them throughout the world. So we had companies that are partners and, and friends of, of friends even to Ashtar Theatre in 36 countries. Wow. 52 companies have taken these monologues. And the idea was to create a domino effect of loud shout. And sustainability to and continue. Like you create something, but someone's able to take that over and keep it going and keep it going and keep it going. And let's talk about how are you keeping it going? How, well, how do you keep doing this in these times? What do you do? <laughs> At the moment, we, are, uh, we have launched the 10 years remembering of the Gaza monologues because it's 10 years now. And so uh, I've launched a smaller uh, called the Lockdown Messages. The Lockdown Messages are video recorded messages from 
whoever we could reach to from the 1,500 kids around the world who participated, of course, we cannot get to the, I, I wish we can, but if we get one or two in each country, that would be amazing because most of them just changed their emails and, and their position where, where they are. So they started to really send out uh, recorded, video recorded messages about what they remember of the Gaza monologues and what they want to tell the world and what they want to tell their peers in Gaza who passing by the uh, global lockdown because of the pandemic whether they have remembered or not the 15 continuous years of the lockdown of Gaza. And you know, what you're saying only supports why I continue to do this podcast, because as much as we are in quote unquote lockdown, mm. the art is freeing. The art is in your heart. And Absolutely. What, what we do through our work is we tap into that love. We tap into that generosity and that kindness and remind everybody we are a single global unit here. We have to care about each other. And that's what your work does. And that's why I admire what you do um, so much. I loved what you said, you know, when you were talking about we're breathless. I mean, how universal is that where we have I can't breathe movement it's happening in the United States. It's happening all over the world. We are breathless. You know, yes. we need to find our voice. And that's what you're doing. How are you able, with what's going on politically with this present administration, how are you dealing with what is going on between the United States and the Middle East? One thing I would say before I enter into the specificity of, of the question, I would say that art is bigger than politics. Yeah. It is much more genuine, more universal. Politics is something closed-minded, while art is a freeing energy, a freeing cosmic energy. Of course, <laughs> saying this, we are uh, very much affected by the politics of the here and now and the politics of the world and especially this twinning between the US and, and Israel saying this. And you are here to stay, for sure. <laughs> Hopefully we are, yes, yes. But me as a person, but us as a people as well. So uh, no matter what they will do and they will keep on doing much more harm by the day, they have changed the facts, the figures, the narrative, and they keep on doing it, but they cannot really demolish our presence. We will keep on being Palestinians in Palestine, and our land will, for us, in our heart and in our mind and in our action, will continue to be Palestine. The theater of oppressed, I'm, I'm familiar with, but I'm curious to know an exercise, one of the exercises that you used with the kids to elicit a monologue from them. Could you, I'm hmm. interested in, how did you apply that? Because <laughs> I, I worked with Theater of the Oppressed when I was working with the, the creative arts team. So I'm, I'm curious to know what, how you used it. Well, I mean, the uh, games of the Theater of the Oppressed, different games, it ignites all the senses. 
So uh, whether you do the hitting the sounds or whether you do the igniting the vision or the hearing, the vision, the, the, the touch, the, uh, the body in, on a whole. So all the exercises of games for actors and non-actors, if you know them, or do you want me to tell you a particular one at the moment? Yeah, yeah yes. There was the, the conflict one, studying what the conflict is. For example, the one that, uh, that is four people walking and one is dancing, do you know this game? So four people walk in, in the front line. All that they know is one thing in their mind. They walk, one person behind them is dancing and singing differently. So la 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 la. And then they turn, they see the person who is different. They beat her or him down first time and then they walk past then the person comes up the protagonist comes up walks again dancing to a different rhythm again be beating suppressing going a third time the person would start to walk with the group that was a simple exercise of of the many wonderful exercises of uh, Augusto Boal. And it, it is to really explain more of A, how we are, we could be different from the drumming voices around us that are different to ours. How one voice could really change the massive voices. And then how, no matter how faint our voices, no matter how weak we are or how small we are, we could really make our stain or our, our mark on the others and in the world. So that, that is one metaphor of what we were trying to present to our youth and how they could really work with these monologues on a bigger scale. Grander, grander scale. So where are you now and where are you going to head for the future? Well, at the moment, at, at this particular moment, I'm at home in Jerusalem, where I live. At this moment of the artistic life, because of the uh, pandemic, we're a little bit facing hardships of, like everybody else, of course. We're not able to uh, perform yet. We're not able to have audience in in our space but we are back to the teaching aspect okay. uh, on a smaller scale in Ramallah particularly but uh, in Gaza not yet but we will be starting because uh, our programs with the students and with the with the school students was able to pick up but with the university students is not yet but uh, we have managed a little bit to reform Instead of doing plays at the moment and forum plays, we will we started to uh, write forum films. Wow! Short films. Oh, so talk about that. <laughs> How do you do that? So my colleagues at at Ashtar, Bayanish Bib, who's a writer, is going to write a series of four shorts 
about emancipatory theater, uh, sorry, emancipatory, emancipatory education, about problems and, and possibilities inside the education system. And we will be filming it, but then opening the film online for the intervention of the audience. Oh, awesome. Oh, so, that, so that is so creative. And again, this is how we adapt to the times. This is what absolutely. art, this is what art teaches us. I love what you, you said. Art is bigger than politics. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited about what you're doing and how you're moving forward. Talk a little bit about the funding that you're seeking and that I will be sharing uh, with my audience. Mm -hmm. You know, as uh, b being an NGO, a non-governmental organization, and being in, in a country like Palestine, that uh, we do not have resources and we do not have at all, we don't take money from any government, not the Palestinian government, <laughs> nor so, because also the Palestinian government do not have money. So we fundraise all the time through the international bodies, organizations. The EU used to, to be one of the main funders in, for culture in Palestine, but now no more because the EU had imposed a new, close, a new condition that in order to take the money, we have to say that our political struggle is terror. And this is completely shameful because we are people under occupation and even the UN grants us to struggle against the occupation. Of course, as artists, we are for nonviolent struggle. We struggle with the word, with the words, with words, with, with, with our bodies, with our plays, but we have the right to do so. It is freedom of expression and it's against uh, human rights. So it's less and less support for the art, for Ashtar theater from the world. And therefore, we started to really go uh, for platforms like crowdfunding, like global giving, Patreon. And we really hope that the audience who would be hearing us would be ready and happy to support us, at least if they like our work, to keep us going. <laughs> because we know that our work is vital for our community and for the next generation. And without it, I think the next generation would be really squared and, and will be stuck in, in such a horrible moving sand. You speak with such passion and it comes through so genuinely. You are such an authentic human being and I will share the link when we air the, uh, the podcast to support you. you and your work. Just to close, Iman, Yes. You know, what, what hope, what message of hope can you give to us, not just as a theater artist in, as a Palestinian, but as a global hope? What do you hope for? What do you wish for? One thing that maintains my hope is the fact we are together and we know that we are together and we're working together for the embetterment of, uh, of the next generation. So my hope had risen because I have been able really to see uh, many friends from around the world 
through Zoom, through, uh, through different means of connections. And this is an important a gift from Mother Earth, from the world, to theater and to art in general, that we are one community. And we are a strong community when we keep on working together. Because as I said before, we need each other. And we are bigger than, than the politics and we will be doing marvels. If we really understand that our um, future is one, it's not many futures, it's one and we are working for, for the next generation. Thank you, Iman, for your wise words and sharing your stories of strength with our audiences. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And we will be in touch for sure. Of course, Francis. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. I've traveled far, seen so many fallen stars, no one really noticed the score. Again, yeah.
Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions.